Hello, world. You're listening to episode nine. Dr. Scott and I here get together regularly to talk about leadership. We focus around an important topic. No, what is this? What is this? This is terrible. <laughs> You're listening to Leader FM, a weekly talk show for intelligent leaders and executive coaches reaching for the next level. Leader FM is hosted by executive coach Dr. Scott Francis and marketing media man Tony Creech. This episode of Leader FM is brought to you by Advanced Leadership Coaching and TheCreechLeague.com. This week on Leader FM, Dr. Scott and Tony are joined by longtime senior leader and graduate leadership professor, Dr. Paul Magnus, in a monster episode on his take on leadership, execution, and healthy organizations. Hello world, you're listening to episode 9. Dr. Scott and I get together regularly to talk leadership because we believe that you are ready for the next level. So let's dive in. It's so good to chat with you, Dr. Scott. Thanks for joining me. Hey Tony, good to see you again. And today we're joined by a very special guest, Dr. Paul Magnus. Hello Dr. Magnus, good to have you here. Nice to join you. Yes, and uh, you know both of us actually, Dr. Magnus. We've had some seasons together. (laughs) In the classroom and beyond. Yes, sir. Uh, both Scott and I studied leadership underneath uh, Dr. Paul Magnus. That's right. Um, probably for my master's degree mm-hmm. in organizational leadership and management, uh, Dr. Magnus taught me the most classes of that degree. Mm. Yeah. And I'm currently doing that degree. Not all the way done yet. Uh, it's filling in classes where I can. <laughs> of course, both of you excelled, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I remember it that way. Yeah, so well, you said it. And so Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Now, now we have proof. <laughs> For those that aren't as familiar with you as we are, uh how would you describe yourself to somebody who doesn't know you? Why I would say I'm a person who's uh passionate to gain as much wisdom and understanding about leadership as 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 possible because it mm-hmm. is my life dream and has been to both do and develop leaders uh, who will be much better than I ever was as a leader of about 40 years myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, what are some of the tangible ways you're doing that now? Well, I do have a, a, I'm overseeing a graduate leadership program at Briarcrest College and Seminary. And uh, I'm the coordinator for the program. I think we have about 50 students engaged uh, in different classes at different mm-hmm. levels. And uh, so I attempt to, right now, I'm attempting to tend those students <laughs> and to make every one of them excel. Uh, that's the dream. Uh, the dream isn't as much just to have them excel in the class, unless they're actually delivering better leadership. I, I assume I have failed. Mm. So I'm following them around the country. Many, many times I'm also invited to become a consultant and coach in their environment, which is maybe the most rewarding. If your students invite you into territory where they're giving active leadership and and they trust you enough that that they'll jeopardize their future by bringing their (laughs) profit. And that's probably one of the most rewarding experiences of this chapter of my life. Mm. And it happens most of my current coaching and consulting, of which I spend almost half my life doing now, uh, would have been initiated or influenced by a former student Mm. or a current student. Mm. Even current students are taking that risk. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, one of the sweet parts, of having you here is uh, a little bit of a revisiting for both Scott and I with you and uh, studying with you and working with you. You feel like a real appropriate guest, both because of your uh, long experience in leadership and at leading organizations and teaching. And and you've done also been teaching for how many years you've been teaching leadership and management? I'm in my, uh, (laughs) this will sound a bit scary, but I'm actually in my 47th year of consecutive teaching, having taught a minimum of three courses uh, every year in 47 without without a single uh, break in that. And uh, not always leadership. I was teaching communication and other Mm -hmm. courses at some point on the journey, but probably uh, 
minimum of uh, 25 to 30 years of leadership instruction. Right. And in there, you, uh, for uh, our listeners who won't know, you were the president of the college. I was, I, I was vice president and, and eventually president, but I had served at least three different vice presidential roles mm. with the institution. And so between president and vice president, between the two, I would have served over 30 years of leadership at the vice presidential or presidential level. Mm-hmm. And uh, the beauty of of actually uh, blending the doing uh, of leadership and the teaching of it meant that my students would always hold me accountable to what I was teaching. And consequently, I had to seek to be ahead of <laughs> uh, what I would teach. So if I knew I was going to be teaching a course in strategic planning, I had to launch that initiative within the institution. So I'd have a template, I'd have a sample to share. Or problem solving, I just attempt to solve a big problem and identify the steps. And uh, and so we would we would spin it out that way. I, I the, there was a praxis there that benefited me likely more than the students, but I also think it brought benefit to the students. So we're not just teaching conceptual material, but I was always concerned that they would want to mm. and know how to. Mm-hmm. What leadership was, was always important. We, but, but that's what the classroom tends to focus on. They focus, we tend to focus on the what of. Mm. And I, I was convinced that unless they also knew how, it was they likely would not even admit that that they didn't know how because as adults especially the male of the species we find it very difficult to admit that we don't know how mm. so often we'd say we don't want to so three key ingredients uh, probably the most important i see the most important one is the how piece for mm. adults but the what the why really key and and that affects the want and the how of leadership. So here's maybe the big question that we want to revisit with you related to that. And perhaps this is the question we're always asking, especially if you're currently in a management leadership role, which is pretty, everybody's a leader in some way. Or maybe I'll leave that for you to decide today. (laughs) Uh, The question is, what is leadership? And maybe I mean this in a way that's bigger than the what definitions. Well, let me comment uh, on uh, what leadership is and then what corporate leadership is. Okay. So there's no confusion. Uh, leadership ultimately is flows from a person. Leadership flows from a person. It starts with a person who then influences people. Now, in the 21st century, how we influence people has categorically changed. Mm. And we miss the need for new set of understandings there. But we, inf- you know, we influence people with something and we influence them towards something. But the with, I think we need to influence people with strategic and, and, and relevant processes that, that, actually, that actually manage both the tangible and the intangible components of life. And I'll comment on the distinction in a few minutes. But for me, the process piece is the how piece. But if we don't have a compelling purpose, we still we we still won't be inviting to them. So you're, you're it's really a, a leadership flows from a person who influences people mm-hmm. with what I call really uh, authentic and engaging processes. Mm-hmm. That they then can replicate and use as 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 they fulfill some compelling purpose in their lives. Now the difference between uh, mere leadership. Every one of us lead every day. You're yeah. leading your family. Mm-hmm. You're leading your spouse. Well, excuse me. Sometimes they're leading you, but yeah. but you're always influencing people. The distinction between personal leadership of that type and leadership, which Seth Godin says. You don't need a platform anymore. Every one of you are leaders. You mm-hmm. have a computer. Mm-hmm. You use that to lead, and you can lead. You can lead widely. But corporate leadership has another element. 
corporate leadership definitely starts with a person, normally a person who influences people, normally forms a team, uses key processes to achieve a purpose, but what's really a compelling purpose. But what is really key is that we find out how to have sufficient people own the dream, own mm. the direction, own the processes. And I think we miss the ownership piece. And then what happens is we kind of lead alone, and you're not leading if they're not following. You're just taking a walk, and most know that. But when it comes to corporate leadership, I think one of the missing elements has been gaining ownership. Mm. What do you think blocks people from taking ownership? What gets in the way? What gets in the way? Well, so you're going right down the path. I was hoping you might with (laughs) regard to how do we actually influence people? What Mm -hmm. blocks the path for people? Number one, I think we need to help people have a sense of value. I, For me, if people aren't ennobled, if they don't feel more noble when you're leading, mm-hmm. the, the, their value is depleted. And if they don't feel valued by you, why would they want to follow? If they don't feel valued why by the corporate entity that they're part of, why would they want to participate wholeheartedly? You know, the literature is clear. About 38% of people uh, are fully engaged. 38% in the country that's best at engaging people. So I think one of them is is really making sure they feel ennobled. Another is making sure that we enlist them in a way that lets them know and feel and see that they're making a difference. Mm. So let's let's go back to that ennobled bit. Yeah. What what does it mean for a person to feel and be ennobled? Well, so okay, let me let me just <laughs> suggest that one of my goals when you asked the early question about being my students, et cetera, was <laughs> that you'd feel a little ennobled that your publics would hear me say, actually, that, that uh, you know, you, you both excelled, which you did. Mm-hmm. I could have kept that to myself, but if that hadn't been expressed, you might actually wonder what I thought of you as students, and be reflecting on that in this dialogue, just to illustrate and make it concrete. Mm-hmm. So ennobled people have to feel value enhancement. But it's more than just stroking their ego. It, it has to be filled with truth, and it has to be filled with integrity. So, so the more concrete I am with the affirmation or with the ennoblement, mm-hmm. uh, the, the better. I actually, my belief is that every one of us, every one of us, were were created with, mm-hmm. with 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 wonder and and beauty, and my goal as a leader is to draw that from the person to bring that out, mm-hmm. and so I, for me it links back. Not everyone has exactly the same faith commitment, but it links back to the value of the human. Mm-hmm. All I'm doing as a leader is I'm actually trying to let them see that in themselves. And I also want to bring that out for them to see for themselves. So it's not just a matter of what we say. It's it's what we demonstrate. It's how we help them gain a deeper sense of value themselves. Hmm. So their self-talk changes and their self-understanding changes and, uh, and their self-appreciation talk changes. Hopefully that helps. Yeah, yeah. Then is some of the biggest leadership challenges trying to ignoble people throughout the course of trying to get them to perform better. And so some people, they just are like, well, this guy, he's not noble. He's not completing projects on time. He's not getting on board. Yes. Uh, That's where, because some of that almost sounds like a positivity coach. And I know you don't mean it like that. What does that look like as even a, a way of being when you're thinking about your role in getting productivity out of people? Well, I'm basically a, um, I would say that my attempt in everything I do 
is to is to determine where the person where, where they actually are in real life their own self-awareness their own self-perception etc and i want to coach them forward so my teaching is really coaching a group forward coaching them to an an enhanced level but i do want to begin with the belief myself about them so that i i demonstrate it my belief about my classroom, about every person in the classroom. If I see them as intelligent, able, I won't think of them as as the learners, and mm-hmm. I'm the, you know, the one yeah. who teaches. I see us as a learning group, and I stress that. But when it comes to people, I think coaching has probably, there's probably five, I I have five coaching uh, models that Mm -hmm. I seek to develop and use. One actually is uh, uh, appreciation coaching. How do Mm -hmm. you actually coach a person to feel appreciated. You know, the literature says 98% of people feel underappreciated in the corporate setting. Mm. In the corporate 98% setting. 98% of people, of course, the interviews were done by people who work. So how appreciated do they feel? 98% feel underappreciated. Knowing that, I've attempted to learn how to actually coach people in... in uh, with appreciation. And if if you go back to Chapman's material around uh, five love languages, I, I've concentrated on those five love languages and, and said, well, mm. people feel appreciated. And there's a, there's a, the, the, Chapman has co-authored the book now on the languages of appreciation for, uh, for uh, leaders. Very profoundly helpful little book. And just talks about those, those five languages. So how do you deal with criticisms that some leaders would have that, that to, to be uh, focusing on that is to be dealing with the touchy-feely, silly, time-wasting stuff? Well, I will tell you that uh, if I made an error in, my, in the early part of my journey, it was the assumption that the hard skills of leadership are the most important ones. What I mean by that is the mm. tangibles. The tangibles like strategic planning, problem solving, uh, uh, team building, uh, you know, th- th- that which you can, good quality business management, things that you can show on a chart. I, I zoomed in on learning and delivering and growing my own capacity, but the capacity of others, and, and on using those in the corporate environment. The longer I've lived and the longer I've observed people, the intangibles of leadership are likely more important, which mm. for which we need soft skills. So I, I, because I have five uh, coaching models, one has to do with the appreciation. The second one has to do with learning. So it's, it's coaching people who are wise enough to know that they actually want to learn. They want to learn. Mm. The third is, how do, you, uh, how do you coach people who actually, actually don't think they want, they don't want to learn? They don't model that. Another piece of language that I never like to use is they come across as foolish. So they want someone else to learn rather than. So it's it's not a question of whether they're fools. It's a question of the level of of want to to learn. If they don't want to learn, mm-hmm. then I then I shift from what is the soft type of coaching, the one the coaching that assumes people. Uh, want to learn, which is where I like to start. You know, occasionally I'll have a student that actually doesn't want to learn. Now, then I shift to expectations. So I stop I stop the soft type of coaching and I create expectations that are very measurable, that are very observable. Mm-hmm. Now then, in my journey of leadership, I've also had to do another style, and that is, how do you deal with people who are actually evil? And my description of people who are evil, those who want to harm the leader or the corporate entity that they're leading in. And sometimes it's it's parking lot board meetings that do it. Sometimes it's triangling in the coffee room. But but <laughs> the person the person involved needs the their 
you need to figure out how to end their journey in the environment because they're doing it harm. But knowing that they're already doing it harm means that they could do it great harm. So I would say you need the whole range of competencies because you're dealing with people at different levels of learning readiness. The key mm -hmm. for me at this juncture is learning readiness. Mm. It's not it's not how much they already know or how much I already know. It's our learning readiness that preps us uh, for being wise or foolish or evil or right. worse. So now are you, when you start a relationship with someone you're coaching, yes. are you looking to identify where they are in these categories? I always want to begin by helping ennoble the person mm. to deepen our relationship, but also to build trust. So they, so they, for me, the toughest challenge in the journey of leading and teaching was not to grow people's confidence, a competence. It's easier to grow their competence because it's easier to show someone how than it is to grow their confidence. And so I'm trying to grow their confidence that they trust my mm. judgment enough, our engagement enough, that they'll actually enter it fully. So I like to start with model one. Then I always assume they're hungry learners, that they want to. I don't always assume they know how to. That's what I'm trying to resource. And if they prove the opposite, then I'll go to the next and one and say, well, let's just create a few expectations. Gotcha. Hopefully that answers now, the do question. Do you do the same uh, with groups? I do the same with groups. I will, I, as far as possible, I want to go into an environment and, and pull the best from what's already there because I want to ennoble them. But when they, when, when they clearly put up an imaginative wall because they don't want to deal with either naming or processing their current reality, which is not a good reality, uh, then, uh, then we have to do a little push piece. I prefer mm -hmm. to pull, but occasionally you have to push. But for me, the best way to push is not with what I know, but with questions. With questions that disarm them sufficiently that they begin asking questions. Mm -hmm. Now you're changing the environment to a learning environment. And I'm, right. I'm convinced that if I can change the environment to a learning environment, then we can go a long way together. Mm -hmm. Because they're, they, they want to. Yeah, yeah. And the moment they want to, they, they begin asking the right questions. So I love uh, Marley's uh, little book uh, uh, on uh, change your questions, change your life. Yeah. And I really love the idea of shifting from the judger path of people who already know. Mm -hmm. Or even the, the newest book by Liz Wiseman, uh, Rookie Smarts. How, if you haven't read it, Rookie Smarts mm. is off the charts. Mm. Like, honestly, uh, the subtitle of the book is better than the, than the title. Happens. And, and the subtitle of the book is, is uh, how, how Learning Beats Knowing. My, my most, the most serious risk in life for me is that I think I already know it all. Mm. I project. My and wife says the same thing about me. Yeah, well, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I was listening to a podcast on the way driving here, and it was someone was being interviewed about con artists. Yes. And they were saying that the most gullible people are the people who think they're not gullible. So New Yorkers are, yes. the, are the prime targets for, for people because they think they can easily spot a scam. Hmm. Yeah. Let's go to New York. See, yeah. I think I think it's true personally as well as corporately. So mm. when in the corporate entity we think we know, we consolidate too much. Mm. And 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 we plow down with policy. And 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 organizations so I mean this is where Jim Collin, Collins comes in with one of his more recent books of you know the when plus. he's you know when he says how are the mighty fallen and why some don't. Yeah. He just it's it's the spirit of hubris sets in, and when and we consolidate one path, we freeze it, and then we stop being strategic forward. But we we start dipping, and eventually we become irrelevant or die. I mm. mean, his model shows it yeah, so clearly. Yeah. 
And of course, a historical example of that is what happened in World War II. The Allies figured because they won World War I, they knew the best way to set up tanks and men and guns mm-hmm. and everything, set it up the way we won the last war. And of course, the Germans, they said, okay, we didn't win that last one, so we need to change our tactics. Hence, the Blitzkrieg was invented. Mm. And it took them two weeks, I think, and they were in Paris <laughs> from, from when the first shots were fired on the Western Front. Having just spent uh, time in that part of the world and on the tour, they, on our cruise, they did tell us stories about what the Blitzkrieg did, and they couldn't applaud the Americans more than for the fact that they, not only had they done the Blitzkrieg, but they, because it changed the, the country's attitude toward leadership, that's what had to change. The mm. country's attitude toward leadership had to change because they believed too much in their leader. Mm. And mm-hmm. it was only when they felt the heat of it that they, that they wanted to change. But they also affirmed the, the Americans and the Allies for actually rebuilding. You can go to city after city that was 80 to 90% destroyed wow. in the Blitzkrieg time. And completely rebuilt. You'd never. You, you, it, it's it's rare to find evidence of the war mm. in many of those cities that were hit the hardest. I think you, you see that in organizations where a new leader comes in to clean house, and they clean house without necessarily rebuilding house, so to speak. Yes. The, yeah. the, I mean, one of the other obvious issues is we tend we tend. Not to manage our polarities well. Mm -hmm. So a polarity is a condition in which you need both, not one. And we tend to solve one away as a problem. Mm -hmm. So in that case, what you're doing is you're solving away those who aren't obviously assumed to be the right ones, and but but you're not tending uh, the growth. Of uh, of health, mm-hmm. in order to find a way to replace replace that. So, well, like Ed Catmull talks about in his book Creativity Inc. When the yes. Pixar, when they, when him and John Lasseter went to help Disney, and they were now in charge of Disney's animation group, yes. they didn't clean house. In fact, as Ed likes to point out, it's the same team today that's making Frozen, one of the biggest movies you know, around, and Big Hero and winning the Academy Award for Big Hero 6. The same team that was making the terrible movies when, when Pixar was the only thing bringing money at, to Disney you know, in terms of animation. And it's the same team because he didn't believe that, he, that the people were the problem. And, and typically, the easy thing to do is what you're saying is to, uh, uh, that you do when you don't respect the polarity is that you say, well, let's just get rid of them. They're, they're the problem. Yes. Yes. And not change your system, your structure. Yeah. So for me, one of the curses of, of, of many environments is that we expect integrity of individuals. And then we have a corporate structure that lacks integrity. And a corporate structure that lacks integrity actually causes good people to act badly. So mm. what's an example of that? Oh, well, since I do a lot of work in, in governance, forgive me for saying it, but, you know, we think, uh, we think of governance as that which happens in a boardroom. Mm-hmm. Actually, governance is, is the making of decisions within space that has been given to people. They've, they've been defined as the people who can make a decision in that space. When they make a decision, they're governing. So you have various levels of governance in an organization. But if you have if you have two streams what without without a linkage of a group that actually can bring the two streams of thought together to bring that difference to where there's a oneness, there's a sharedness. You're actually dividing your organization, but your structure is set to do that. And so you 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 actually have people scrapping with each other 
without a way of settling it. Because you, 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 there's a duplicity of alignment. It's not non-integrity. The word integrity means wholeness, means one, completeness, congruence. I say, governance isn't the most important. What's most important is integrity of alignment, so you can govern and govern legitimately without a, with a way of actually settling your differences by moving things through the aligned structure. And, and I, I'm, I do work in many, many environments, and I think one of the biggest issues is the moral ownership the people who think they own the enterprise come after leadership at any level, one at a time. And when we hear that one person, we actually legitimatize what that person says as if it's the collective group. So one of the things that I, I'm doing regularly in most settings is I'm finding ways to gather the right size group and using appreciative inquiry or other processes like that to bring them together only to the point to which we won't make decisions beyond what their polity says we can make them and then the next group takes over etc but it has to be aligned so where does alignment meet this uh, the notion of and the practice of managing polarities because if, if polarities can be unappreciated because you're saying get in a line or get cut off yes Maybe it's just the how, the how, to, how do you bring those two together? The- you, you, theoretically, theoretically, you have a polarity, mm-hmm. at, but a polarity that is unmanaged becomes a problem. You have to manage the polarity. You don't ignore the polarity, nor do you try to, nor do you assume that, that one or the other is unnecessary. Mm. So in aligning an organization, I would make sure that there is there is a group that has more authority to establish where the organization will function on an, on an ongoing basis until they decide to change it, so that you have oneness that's linked. So I'm I'm a believer in the interlinking team structure, mm-hmm. and the reason I'm a believer in that. I don't want individuals running off and having being all powerful. I think that's a huge risk. Mm-hmm. So everyone's part of a team. Some teams are 150, 200, 300, whatever the size the size of your moral ownership. Mm-hmm. I challenge that size group. You need to become a team. That is that means you answer as you answer the key questions that you're responsible to answer together, you do it collectively. Mm-hmm. It's the collective answer that's key. So the issue is, is do we have a way of aligning? Is the organization aligned so someone can decide where you will position yourself in function around polarities that exist? Mm. So would you have an anecdotal example of this? Do I have an example of two yeah. streams? Yeah, the polarities. Oh, I, Would you call I, it silos? Is that I find yes. It's not it's, silos are further down in an organization and yes. So if you don't if you, you don't manage polarities you, you get silos. If you're not if you're not organized with health and for oneness it means you, you're not healthy. You don't have the health advantage. To have the health advantage you have to you need to become cohesive around six key questions okay now i will simply put that out there and say okay we run off and do strategic planning but we haven't done we haven't actually managed the health piece so where do i see it okay you have a group of members of an organization I find many, and then you have boards. Boards typically hold the organization in trust for a membership. I've I've found many boards who say, we're not going to have membership. They get rid of them because they don't actually know that one of their main jobs is to figure out how to bring, how to have collective conversations so they, so they, they, 
they bring oneness to that group. So that group has has answers to a few key questions that they own together. And then your board owns those, but also figures out how to navigate the organization accordingly. And then, but it's interlinking. So the board chair needs to be a, a needs to influence for the whole board. The board chair has to be linked in to the ownership. And then your CEO or your leader needs to be linked into the board, but have a leadership team that, but at each level, you need oneness of understanding. So here's what I'm saying. If you have two streams of governance where where there isn't a group strong enough or able enough or willing enough to bring oneness, you're divided, and you will always have conflict. But it's structurally, that conflict is structurally ensured. You're always going to have conflict because you've got... You're you're guaranteeing it. You're guaranteeing it. And so you shouldn't be surprised when people scrap, when those two scrap. And the same is true, actually. If you don't have key answers at the leadership team level, you might have staff silos. You might have these sub-teams all the way through Mm -hmm. the different units of function. You'll have silos. Why? Why do you have silos? Well, they don't own the essence of the organization together. You don't need that many core questions answered, but you need the core questions answered. So Patrick Lencioni in his book, Mm -hmm. The Advantage, he's talking about the health advantage. He says, you need a cohesive team that answers these six questions. And whether you want the questions or not, I can give them to you, but answers these six questions and agree on them. Yeah, we might as well have the questions. Well, after this commercial break, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> no, like in because it's part of the when you th- when you own that health is part of the execution equation that to, to execute and really succeed. You might exceed for a short period on other stuff, but long term execution, which is what the value of your company is measured in, then it it takes that health of an organization. That's part of the equation. When when you when the organization is not healthy. Health, health basically means you you will have the following kinds of conditions. When it's not healthy, you'll have the opposite. So we can go either path. Yeah, describe for me an unhealthy organization. An unhealthy organization means there's a lot of politicizing. There's there's uh, a lot of turnover. There's uh, a variety of signs of disunity. Uh, there's uh, there's confusion. There isn't clarity on the fundamental essence of the organization. It's confusion. And, and here's what I didn't used to understand. There's confusion of thought, but it's close. It takes no time at all when your thinking is confused that you, your emotions become confused. And that's why I think we, we, we also have the emotional side, and that is you have a lot of scrapping. You spend a lot of time not in intelligent dialogue. I love intelligent dialogue. In fact, we multiply strength with that, but just scrapping, scrapping over things that really don't matter much. We're wasting so much time there. Okay. That, I would imagine also you've got a lot of uh, turf protection and uh, also butt covering. Well, the, the silo piece is, 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 is insured again. Mm-hmm. If you don't have, if if you don't have health, it means that you you, you have disunity. You you have groups that aren't in flow with the organization. They're not aligned, and and yes, absolutely, you have uh, you have all kinds of silos. That's the hard part from the communications perspective. So if you're some some. Some leaders say, well, let's unify everybody around this, yeah. so let's just communicate to them. Yes. And they're not dealing with the health of the organization that's actually in question. Yes. The people see no matter what you say, and they're not seeing the, they're not playing to that emotional piece. That emotions have changed here, that it wasn't just a mental, oh, you just needed to tell me that. 
So according to Patrick Lencioni, mm-hmm. he says we we actually tend progressive future strategic planning much better than health management. So I I'm in fact next weekend mm-hmm. I, I am in two different strategic planning venues, but I'm not starting with planning forward. I'm managing with getting clarity on your core. So Jim Collins in his first strong book, you built the last said, you have these two circles that intersect. Uh, you have one circle rather, and every chapter he starts with it. One has to do with, with clarity of our core and mm-hmm. the other one has to do with promotion of progress. So most of the time in strategic planning, we're promoting progress. And we've gone off and done that. But we're not healthy. So we're not building on a health foundation. And so I love the addition from Patrick. He says, the key questions, first question, why do we actually exist? Why do we exist? Not why does someone else exist? Why do we exist? And the answer to that is a clear and compelling purpose. The second question, that's shared. That's shared. If you're going to become cohesive, it has to be owned. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the second question, uh, he says, what do we value? What do we value? Now, it better question, he says, is how do we behave? How do we behave? Because our behavior depicts what we value. So you can, you know, most of us would list foundational values like integrity, etc. But then he says, but what are our core values? Two or three core. And then the, the third uh, type of value is aspirational. What what do we aspire to? How do we, we, how do we, what kind of behavior do we want to see into the future? And, and I love that. It's, it's, so he spells that out. Then the, the, uh, the third question is, uh, uh, actually, so what do we do? He says, this is where we're the fuzziest. Personally, I answer the question of what we do. He says, don't use the word mission anymore. Use the word, uh, a business definition or ministry definition or because mm-hmm. define clearly. So I think there's three questions that you answer to know what you do. One is what difference are you trying to make? Two is for whom? Mm. And three is with what? When you answer those, you have your mission statement if you want to use one. And he stresses, why, what, what do we actually do? The next question is, is is another key one. How will we succeed? Answer, he says, strategic anchors, two or three. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to what I think is key. Then he says, what are our priorities? What are our priorities? And I say immediate. What are our priorities right now? And then what are our three what are our priorities out in our planning horizon three years out? Now we're going to SMART. So once we, not, not, this, this is where we can transition off into uh, strategic planning, just to connect those two. But his, and I love what he does there, just powerfully helpful. And then the final question he has, who must do what? The answer, our alignment. If every person in the enterprise doesn't know what they have to do, we're not well aligned. Just clarity. He's stressing we need clear and owned answers to these questions to be healthy. And that health affects your execution, even of some of the stuff you're talking about. Because to execute it, you need, uh, like, it's it's not as simple as, well, is that is that it? And everybody looks around and says yes, because of some, because they haven't been, uh, there's no system to yes. ensure, to guarantee they actually yes. have to participate together because they know they can go off to their own kingdoms. Yes. You say blah, 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 and, and yes. in the ex- around the exec table, everybody goes off not yes. caring. Well, I, you know, I, I think that's where strategic planning comes in. Mm-hmm. We name our, our immediate priorities, which means there are things we have to do immediately to get healthy, mm-hmm. but we also now have to think of a preferred future Mm-hmm. And for me, the resource that will, you know, if, if, you, if you want a piece of gold, uh, uh, McChesney, Hurling, Hurling, 
and Covey have done the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution. And you're mm-hmm. really into that, Tony, yeah. as you, your question is leading right into that. Yeah. So, the 40X, right? It, 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 yeah, The Four Disciplines of Execution. Frankly, uh, most often, we have had a tendency to shape a strategic plan, but we haven't delivered it well. Because we did, we weren't disciplined with all four of the ingredients that should show up in the plan. So you know, and and I mean, the four disciplines. Very simply, if you're interested, we can give you the four disciplines. I think I can recall them <laughs> uh, because I stress this regularly. I mean, the first one is you need some wildly important goals. Mm-hmm. I would call them smart goals, but they're wildly important. That, again, there's good ownership on wildly important goals. What's wildly important? Because they will say we're in a whirlwind of activity, and we're activity-driven rather than goal-driven. And what are the wildly important goals? that? I love that terminology, too, because even even when you're sitting around an exec table and it it seems that everybody should know what's most important, there's just, there isn't a sense of what's wildly important. I've been among groups where we said, this is important. And then a minute later, that's gone. And yeah. you're like, how did that just get gone then? If that, if that was wildly important, shouldn't that, it, it, it's, I, that, that terminology is trying to get, it, it, it's pointing to the fact that it's not just knowing the, the system, it's enacting it. And it's, it's about that hard choice of what is yes. wildly important. And it's telling you, this is a hard choice because I'm going to use the word wild, wildly before important. I, I, Personally, I think those wildly important goals are smart goals. They need to be smart. By smart, they're wildly important Mm -hmm. because everything around us is changing and spinning. Sometimes smart hurts because, you know, the smart system, because they look at a goal and they just make sure it's smart and it has time and it has definable. And they use the smart system without asking, wait a minute. Yes. Is this wildly important for our success? Like, yes, is this yes, how yes, we're yes, going to yes, double yes. our revenue? Yes. Well, I, say, I mean, discipline one is wildly important goals. Mm-hmm. But those goals should be measurable and they should yeah. be, they, they should have those yeah. ingredients. That's all. Yeah. Second discipline is, uh, you know, we, we need to lead with lead measures. Mm-hmm. Now, really, lead measures are measures that we have established around activities. What activities are proven to give us progress toward those wildly important mm-hmm. goals? And and we haven't done that. We, we, yeah. We've thought activities are relatively insignificant. Yeah, we, we're, me- we're used to measuring the results instead of trying to find what activities correlate to results yes. and measuring those activities instead. Instead of measuring your team's win, measure yes. how many laps your kids are running at yes. practice or how many, you know, how many times they do layups, how many free throws. They right. Do. So finding activities that not, you can measure. So in sales, it's like, like how many, it's like the, the, the sales funnel, you measure, you know, how many calls do you need to make? So if roughly you make a hundred calls, you get one sale. That's some of your activity that, you know, is a lead measure. And, you, and, you, but, uh, that's you. That kind of thinking is usually stuck in sales and, and yeah, instead yeah, yeah. of corporate strategy. Yes, and yes, the lead yes. measures bring that into. Let's not look in the mirror for our results. Let's find a way to know if we're on the road or not. Instead of looking in the rearview mirror to tell if our business is going the right way. And and uh, you know the measure the importance of measure is demonstrated in their third in their third discipline, which mm-hmm. is a compelling scorecard. I love mm-hmm. that. Not just a scorecard, a compelling scorecard. Mm-hmm. Like one people can't stay away from looking at. Like they're yeah. drawn to it. And then the fourth discipline is having a cadence toward accountability. So mm-hmm. they all link. So if you have a compelling scorecard, mm-hmm. everyone's lean. I think the best way for me to describe cadence is leaning in toward. They're leaning in mm-hmm. toward. They want to see. So every Monday morning when your team gathers, they 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 want to see the score. Mm-hmm. But the beauty is they this is team in the, of authors stress that the best kind of accountability is team accountability, pure accountability. So they're looking at the score and they can see how everyone's doing. 
So I spent some time with uh, some professional hockey coaches. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were telling me how they coach their young fellas. Uh, the key for them is after the game, they sit down with the videotape. And they, they're not looking as much at what the final score of the game was. What they are looking at is how many scoring opportunities they had. And that's the score. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so if, there it is. if the other team only had three opportunities, but they just luckily got it in and, and won, you know, the game one to nothing, but our team had 17 scoring opportunities, mm. um, they would say that was a successful game. We just didn't mm. get it in the net. Um, but more so, they'll sit down and look at each of those plays and what, what made that scoring opportunity happen or not. They'll yes, also, yes, yes. They'll also like, if you look, say there was, mm. we didn't let any goals in this game, but we allowed wow. 14 scoring opportunities. Yes. We just, you know, our, our goalie just was hot. Um, you know, we don't rest on our laurels and say that was a good game. Mm-hmm. At the end, the beauty of the lead or activity measures is we know which ones are giving us success and which ones aren't. So the scoring opportunities are great, but then figuring out that the other piece of figuring out is, so why were some executions completed and other ones not? And then you then what you want to do is help your help the coachees, help the team members see uh see the little bit added it would take to actually uh, have those those high, those scoring opportunities not quite executed to completion completed because yeah. you, you then you get a, you're looking at both and you and you see what it takes now now you know uh, what activities to increase see what you're after yeah. is to know what activities to increase and which ones to, to reduce. I say, I love this book. I just ha- have an analogy that that I want to put a little higher. So mm. when they talk about being in a whirlwind growing up and uh, before cabs, I grew up on a farm and before there were cabs for tractors, <laughs> we used to have these whirlwinds in Saskatchewan. They take my hat. It's still up in the sky somewhere. Some of my hats. <laughs> yeah, this, this is a tractor you're this sitting tractor. outside in the elements. There was no There's no, no, no tractor walls around They didn't around make it. covers. Okay, and barely did they make seats, you know, but I'm standing there and suddenly my cap, I, it's going up and I might as well forget finding it. But I, but I, some years I would I would find it the next year in the field because it did come down. I think that this whirlwind of activity is escalating at a pace that's nearing tornado speed. Mm. And and I think that your whirlwind be, eventually becomes a tornado of activities many of which make really they, it's not just that they're not benefiting, but they're destructive. Mm-hmm. Destructive because they're... The activities become destructive because we're in the activities spin. And the activities are taking us off course from something mm-hmm. that really matters. And oftentimes because uh, when, when, when you're not working from a model that forces alignment of purpose with activity and links them together and yes. does like what a system like 40X does, when you don't have that, people just worry about the activity and activity can become quite, instead of, it's like wearing a sweater and trying to swim. What did we use that analogy with in one of our shows? We talked about wearing, putting on a sweater and swimming laps, but it, it creates drag. And, and there's lots of things that create drag in marketing. This is probably one of the most significant areas of drag is activity that businesses need to be online. We need to be doing something. So let's just do. And then they measure, or you, sometimes when you work with an organization, the first thing you need to need to do is shut stuff down. They're doing too much activity and they're causing themselves harm because they needed to be quote unquote online. And they look at you like you're crazy. Like, you know, how come we're not doing as much? The the problem is, is that you don't have a linkage between what you do it's lead measures, what you actually want yes, to do because yes. it starts at the top and it goes down. And I don't mean top down in terms of an authoritarian mindset, but in terms of mission, if those aren't aligned, then you're paying for a lot of activity that is working against you. It's, and that happens a lot in marketing. I mean, it happens throughout an organization, but as an example, that's a, 
big problem, easy to diagnose. You just say, what do you, well, why are you doing that? Ask a couple of questions of diagnosis and you see that there's no linkage, that those activities aren't the, the, the kind of things that would not go on a compelling scorecard. I just love their language in that book. Compelling. It just tells you, is the scorecard compelling? If it's not, then something's wrong with your scorecard. I think uh, just one other observation it would be to, to say, you know, Jim Collins did us an amazing favor when uh, he wrote the book Good to Great because after 10 years of research, he could conclusively say, and by the way, funded, I think, by Stanford, where the, you, forgive me for saying it, but there was no limitation, and yeah. 10 years of life investment with the team, uh, and they concluded that the good was the enemy of the great. Mm. The good is the enemy of the great. Now, here's our problem. When we start having success, so <clears throat> when we start being successful, we're at risk because we think we're great. So I'm pleading, when you think you're great, just lift the theme in your environment. Let's now be grand. Because now great becomes the enemy of grand. Mm-hmm. And, and we need the healthy foundation, but we also need to intentionally and deliberately shape a path forward. And, and I think it's not either or, it's both and. And because markets are changing and the models and the economic models with you with which you work the laws with which you work people and their needs because the market's always changing if you're constantly looking towards greatness that means you're actually looking for change instead of like you were what was the term analogy used earlier freezing stuff yes i mean blackberry has their stuff frozen it's good it's working well, <laughs> you know, another of my favorite authors is uh, is Peterson uh, in strategic, the Strategic Learning Book, and he he says actually that we're in and and others are now quoting that we're actually living in a VUCA environment. VUCA, VUCA, V U C A, VUCA, V volatile. It's volatile. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. You uncertain. Right. We have we have no idea where it's going. Okay? What's just happening with our markets right now? We have no idea. What's happening with the Canadian dollar? Oh man. Yeah. Like woo. Yeah. If you're my age and wondering if there'll be anything left to use uh, you, because of what's happening to the markets and when you, you when you depend on you know some sort of stipend when you quit uh, hopefully some of that stays but we have all those it's uncertain it's, it's as uncertain as we've ever seen it in my mm-hmm. in my lifetime uh, so you were dealing with a volatile uncertain and C is chaotic. It's chaotic. Like honestly, there's chaos out there, whether it's whether it's ISIS or or other groups, but it's it's chaotic. Mm-hmm. And and you know, war is one thing, but terror is another. Mm. That's all I'll say. Uh, it's just chaotic. And then uh, the final, uh, you know, when you think of the A, it's ambiguous, ambiguous, mm. because of the ambiguity that's out there we need to work doubly hard to be healthy because because chaos is one thing ambiguity means we we never know for sure we're we're in uncertainty around what matters like Mm -hmm. and there are almost always two entities competing Mm -hmm. All, that's why I'm a believer in integrity of alignment, integrity around answers, compelling answers to to the key questions uh, every organization has to answer. And when you have that clarity, then you can talk about where you're going to go. So, Dr. Magnus, um, the allegory here is is health. Yes. Um, being applied to an organization. Yes. yes. Uh, Plato did that when he... Uh, did the health of a body compared to a city, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're, if you're talking about the health of a person, we have very specific measurables uh, yes. for, 
for that you exercise X amount of times yes. a week, that you eat a, a certain kind of diet and that you get a certain amount of sleep. So if you were to chart out that same kind of course for an organization, how often are they meeting to clarify this? Like, are they doing it once a year? Are they doing it once every quarter? How often are they actually doing strategic planning? How often, what would you describe as the organization's uh, workout plan? I would say that organizations... My experience with organizations is they invite me. So this is typical. They mm. invite me for help when they want a new, a newly formed strategic direction. So I will go to them and uh, they already know how to do strat planning, right? They've, they, they have these components all laid out. And, and then I start asking some fundamental questions. Like, do you know who you are? Do you know why you exist? Well, and there's fudging and there's, I say, oh, we, we really need to start with your foundation because if we build on a shaky foundation, we can expect not to have any ownership or wide ownership or shared ownership on the direction you shape. And... I would say, for me, uh, my estimate is that 75% of organizations don't have clarity in answers to the health questions. So, as a person, okay, as a person, I want resilient people. I want resilient people. Now, to be resilient actually means that that you are whole inside that that the that that you have a spiritual core that's whole you're you're at peace with yourself you're at peace with your maker you but 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 you're spiritually you're whole emotionally emotionally you have to be feeling like feel again i find a lot of leaders are emotionally very unhealthy but you see it's not assessed the same way Mm-hmm. We we think it's only the it's only the one piece. I, I think we need to be physically whole. And you're talking about well, food and fitness, <laughs> and and then mm-hmm. uh, you know it, it's 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 the issue that you have to deal with. Ultimately, the emotional emotional health of leaders is is often challenged, and it's challenged because uh, because they they really have nowhere to process the weight of the load they're carrying and mm. and whatever but there's stuff buried there is a leader who's written a book the emotionally healthy leader and he and his wife have the practice once a day of literally getting naked for 20 minutes now because because it's and then they open up about things that are stuck inside and mm-hmm. because they were they were two individuals living in the same home and he was highly challenged doing great things, uh, but he was miserable to live with. And now they figured it out, and they're going to stay whole, emotionally healthy. I mm. think I think physically healthy, it's it's food, and without question, uh, fitness. The, the, the gymnasium helps, or long walks, or whatever. But I I, I think that the other is mental. It's not what we know as much as it is our mindset, our mind orientation. Are we still curious? Are we still searching? So quite often leaders skip past their personal wholeness. What it means is they're only partly showing up when they lead. Well, let's link that back to health. If an organization has parts that are healthy, but they're not whole, the whole part isn't healthy. What actually happens is the drain will be the same from that part that isn't healthy as for me personally as a leader. If I'm emotionally unhealthy, it affects everything. It affects everything. If I'm spiritually unhealthy, it affects everything. If I'm not at peace so I can sleep at night, you know, it affects everything. Mm-hmm. And so any one of the any one of the parts of the human drain. They drain out of proportion 
do the energizing in the others. So that's why I say health is even more important than direction. Hope that helps. Yeah. So in a way, you're it, talking about me right now because of this whole new baby <laughs> and yeah. no sleep, and I'm just yeah, like yeah, yeah. he's describing somebody. <laughs> so um, organizations bring you in, yes. and oftentimes you're finding uh, yes. you gotta you gotta go there. Yes. But if you had a, a real healthy organization, let's yes. say let's say you had a superstar organization, yep. how often are they hitting at these questions? Like if, if there was an ideal cycle my, that they went through. My, uh, my observation is that, that they, are, they are living that reality. In other words, they can answer the question. So they can answer the question anytime you ask because they're living it. They're, they're actually living their cohesive health. The answers to those questions widely understood, and you can ask a person at any level of the organization, and they'll answer it the same. They'll answer the question the same way. So I almost never find that to be true when I'm invited in, but that's why I'm invited, because, right. you know, they pay for my services. So mm-hmm. one guarantee, if you're going to pay, is that you think you need help. All right? So mm-hmm. when they need help, it's almost always more a consequence of lack of health than it is not knowing how to do the future direction setting. They actually know more about being smart than they do about health. Thank you, Dr. Paul. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us this week. You can find guest Dr. Paul Magnus on Twitter at PJ Magnus. You can also email him at pmagnus at briarcrest.ca. You can find Scott at advancedleadership.biz or on Twitter as at leaderadvance. I am at thecreech on Twitter and you can find me at tonycreech.net. Please send all your comments, questions, and stories to leader.fm. You'll see the contact form there. You'll see show notes there. If you like the show, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks again to our wonderful sponsors, thecreechleague.com and Advanced Leadership Coaching.